0: hello everyone and welcome to in this economy the podcast where young people from zimbabwe and around the world discuss how they are navigating life in the current economic circumstances with me your host kim ya so i think up until this point of life i spent a majority of my adult life as a student and honestly i can say the two universities i got to attend gave me some of the greatest memories and i got gotten to meet some amazing people from all around the world make great friends and connections that i will forever be grateful for so this week my guests and i had the pleasure of discussing our experiences as international students um our experiences we unpack our experiences with immigration systems and all that kind of stuff, the good, the bad, all of it with migrating to another country to study. Um, this episode was recorded prior to the events that are currently happening in Ukraine. And my heart truly goes out to all the international students, especially those from developing and African countries who have been reportedly facing really difficult times trying to escape the country, not being permitted to cross borders um, and have just had have seek refuge in other places and i will be including some links on how to support international students at this time and of course our thoughts and prayers go out to the situation there and we can only hope that there is no further unnecessary loss of life please do not forget to follow the podcast on social media at in this economy podcast on instagram and follow me our host at kimiajega on twitter and i'd love to hear your feedback what have been your experiences if you have been an international student or i guess a student in general um and yeah your, i love your engagement as always and let's keep the conversation going so yeah let's get into the episode all right so for today's episode i have the absolute pleasure of inviting my dear friend island hi island hi kim how are you doing i'm doing
1: good oh Had a quick, easy morning, um, had my coffee, so I'm really excited about this
0: conversation
1: and I'm really glad that you actually welcomed me to your episode.
0: Well thank you for making the time. Um, So today we're going to be discussing international student life. Um, So do you just want to introduce yourself really quickly before we get into the episode? So my
1: name is Aydin. I'm originally from Turkey. For the past four years I've been doing a PhD on how climate change and disasters are forcing people to move and how under international law we can actually come up with a protection mechanism. So my passion is really to find answers to respond to global challenges that humanity is facing everywhere. Um, I also, on top of that, like to play the ukulele, which is a trick I picked up when I did my fieldwork research in Fiji during my PhD. Um, So that's pretty much about me.
0: I thought it would be great to invite you onto the show to talk about your experiences as an international student. Um, I have had similar ones I've studied in different countries um, and you actually have a YouTube channel where you talk about international law but um, you did an Instagram live once where you were discussing with um, another international student who had moved to Europe about their experiences and I resonated with a lot of them but we were all from completely different developing countries completely different sides of the world but we were like there was so much in common i'm like yeah i get that okay i don't get that but that that was really interesting so i thought it would be just it would be fun to discuss and explore that and just talk about your experiences and how you've navigated it in mm-hmm. like how with, especially how the world's been changing in the last couple of years
1: i think this is a really important topic and i think that we need to discuss it more especially as people from developing countries
0: yes definitely um
1: on the one hand this is this is applicable to me and I'm not sure if it applies to everybody from the developing world. But how I feel and how I've always felt ever since I was in high school and now I'm 30 years old. So it's been a long time huh? is that I have to excel myself and I really have to push the boundaries and I have to really try to get the best. And the best somehow is not in the developing world. It's in the developed world. And so I have to go to the UK, to the best university where I can study for a law degree, and then that will look amazing for my future and on my CV. Then I have to do a master's degree, and that will look amazing, again, in the developed world, that will look amazing on my CV. And then um, potentially, well, this is a bit debatable, but I also felt like I wanted to do a PhD. And there, I think I wasn't necessarily forced to do it, Mm. but I was more interested genuinely to do it. But my point here is that I think that we really need to sit down and really see for ourselves why it is that we are really drawn to the Western world in order to undertake education. And I think once we really start thinking about that, then we realize that it's, a bit of marketing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um, a bit of um, also, I mean, the quality of the education, I've always been happy about it. But at the same time, one wonders if really those degrees got me in my next job or not. And I think in the job market, those degrees are not necessarily always helping us at this age, because there's a lot of competition in the job market. So I think it's a lot of marketing happening out there as well. And I Mm -hmm. think in Certain institutions and universities in the West, they know that, they know that once they can actually say, if you get this master's degree or this bachelor's degree from my university, you will definitely be employable. But then when you actually take a look at the rules and the laws, that's actually not necessarily true. With your passport, you might actually not even have the right to remain in the country right after you graduate, let alone having the right to work. That was my experience in the UK. So I went to the UK for a bachelor's degree. I studied at LSE uh, for three years. I completed a, a law's degree, a bachelor of law's degree. And when I went, the rule was that after graduation, you were given a certain amount of time to remain in the country and to look for a job. You still needed sponsorship, so you didn't have the right to work, but you were at least given some period of time after graduation. Hmm. After my first year, change in the government, change in the law. So straight after my um, degree, I was basically pretty much kicked out. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, then it makes me wonder, why did I invest in that country? Why did I actually try to get that degree? And I think that we really need to think hard about these issues, right? It's not just, mm-hmm. oh, I paid that money. This is an amazing opportunity. This degree is going to save me and I'm going to be set for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That thinking which is, I think, a bit of indoctrination through marketing, is, is wrong.
0: No, definitely. And I can really relate to what you're saying and can resonate with that because um, I also have the, the same experience where, like, okay, if I get a degree from elsewhere, you know, I'll, have, it'll, I'll be more competitive. I'll stand a much better chance somewhere else. But what I found is when I had an opportunity to study um, in Switzerland and then I also was able to intern at an international organization, Um, At the part of the, the division, which the organization I was interning at, there wasn't also a lot of diversity as far as developing country representation. Like, yes, there were people from certain developing countries, and it was interesting that their countries had ties, had very close ties with the Western countries. There's levels to it, so not only are you from a developing country, but you also have to be from a certain developing country. And your degree, as much as everyone has the same qualifications, doesn't necessarily open the open the doors that you're like promised, and I think that mm-hmm. um, segues really nicely into our first question. The first question I have for you is, what career expectations did you have when you decided to pursue your studies outside of your home country?
1: So then I would have to break it apart in order to answer that question. Yeah. So for my yeah for my bachelor's, I think I genuinely thought, and I was much younger back then, obviously that um, that kind of an education could lead me to get a job in the UK, I could qualify as a lawyer, Um, Now, I'm not saying that I tried so hard and that the system was completely against me and that I definitely couldn't get a job, that's by no means is what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that if you constantly apply for all these um, internships, um, in every semester break and then you're constantly seeing the first question that pops up to be, are you a new citizen? <laughs> do you mm. have the right to work? Mm. Then actually that really um, I think captures the spirit of the applications and how those applications are being assessed, right? So then you need to network and which which I did, which I tried to do, but I just was never able to get anything. And so from my bachelor's, I think my expectation was that I could I could qualify as a lawyer. I could live in the UK. I could make a living. Mm-hmm. Now, I do know certain people who were from developing countries who did make it. Huh? But um, I also know how much of an effort they put in it. And I also think that, that it's not proportionate to how much effort an EU citizen puts in it. Yeah, And for you know, for my master's, I think I had a different expectation. So my for my master's, I got a really generous scholarship based on my academic achievements. And I went to Canada, to the University of Toronto. And I think there I had the right because of the Canadian laws. I had the right to remain in the country for a year after my master's degree. So Canada is way more welcoming to immigrants. Mm. Not necessarily because they are humanistic, but because they actually need yeah. young people. There, mm. You know, so it's it's a matter of dem- demographics, really. Yeah. Um. And I didn't take that opportunity. I didn't stay, and there were many reasons why I didn't stay. I wanted to go back home. I wanted to qualify as a lawyer back home and actually try litigation mm. and so on. Um. And I think for so 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 for my masters, I think my expectation was really that i would learn a lot i would have the most amazing discussions i would meet the you know really interesting people it would be diverse it would be it would be really interesting material that i'm studying and that it would really boost my CV. Mm-hmm. and i think i did achieve that in canada like i did feel like what i expected did come true so i was very happy about that experience and for the last four years well over four years now i've been in switzerland at the university of Bern. So that's the capital of Switzerland. And I think that my expectation from the get go was that, you know, I'm now in a PhD, it's a paid PhD, it's a proper job. I will continue in academia, I will be an academic, you know, I I did it, that's it. Hmm. Mm. and boy was I wrong that oh, expectation yeah. <laughs> did not come true by any need mm. um, I'm still unemployed um, after graduating um, I've been applying for academic jobs for over one and a half years now it's a huge competition so in that sense uh, I've been facing deportation for the last two years and in the last minute I was able to get my paperwork somehow yeah. sorted and then I was yeah. able to extend my permit so it's a bit of a challenge there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: no definitely and i think that's the case with a lot of people in developing countries where it's always right at the last minute something comes up or Mm -hmm. something but there's never like a consistent i guess security in what you're doing because as relevant as what you might have studied is or you know all those considerations are there and it's true it's relevant they could be work theoretically practically, it's, it's not, that's not really the case from your experience, from what I'm understanding. But um, from all the challenges you faced, especially in tertiary education, which country would you say was the most challenging to adjust to, and also look for opportunities in?
1: I mean, definitely Switzerland. And there are a couple of reasons for that, right? So some of them are personal reasons. For instance, I can't, speak French or German, I, I, I now I can barely do German, so I've been learning it for the past four years. Yeah. So that would be one personal reason why it was particularly challenging. And I think in Switzerland, people genuine, generally prefer um, German or French or, or in the Italian-speaking parts than it would be Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, so language has been a big problem, and I didn't have that uh, limitation in Canada or in the UK. Um, but I think building on that, it's also hard in Switzerland in terms of well, in terms of staying right. Like there, um, for for instance, non EU um, citizens, the rules are way more restrictive compared to EU citizens. If you're an EU citizen, I mean, you can always stay right. You have the right to free movement. Mm. doesn't mean that you will get the residence permit, but it Mm. does mean that you will not be deported. (laughs) So even that releases so much stress from a person compared to someone like me. So when my colleagues would, you know, but I'm in the same situation with my colleagues and we don't know how to extend our permits, what they face if they're an EU citizen is basically just lingering around. But for me, it's actually being kicked out. Yeah. And I think there were also other injustices in terms of um, the citizenship issue, which I gradually started realizing more and more. For instance, I had a three-year contract when I came here. I paid my taxes. I've been working um, 100%. And um, because of e- because of Swiss laws... I was only given a permit um, which had to be renewed every year, even though I had a contract, a work contract for three years. Now let's compare that with my um, colleague who's in the same situation who has an EU passport. Right from the get-go, they get a five-year residence permit and they do not have to go through immigration every year if they have a three-year contract, right? If their contract is anything longer than a year, they get a five-year residence permit. So that is just yeah, mind-blowing because we're doing the same job. Mm. We have the same skill sets, obviously, because we got the same job. We're working for the same employer. Mm. Why would I have to go through the tension of immigration every, every year oh yeah exactly yeah that's just one of the stories right there is a lot more there is in there's also the story of integration there's also the story mm. of getting the permanent residency which is also different so there's a lot more to dig in there but um i'll let you uh, i'll let you uh, talk a little bit <laughs>
0: yeah no for sure i think um outside of like student permits and the one like internship permit that i've had I've never really faced like that issue of constantly having to go to immigration. But one thing I found really, I guess, stressful was after I had finished my studies and I was leaving Switzerland to go back home before starting my internship. They make you like shut your entire life there down, like close your bank account, give you back the residence permit card. Like there is no leeway, there's no leg room for you to even just like move away slowly, you kind of have to get it done and then leave, like, so quickly. Um, And I understand, you know, every country has a right to decide who can stay, who can't go, all of those sort of things. But I feel like as international students, you cannot really fully engulf yourself in the country experience. Because at the back of your mind, you were constantly feeling like, I'm not fully welcome here. I'm not fully, I can't fully just like be here. I have to make a conscious decision to be like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy my studies. I'm going to do this. But in the back of your mind, you are thinking about, all right, I have this amount of time left on my visa. I also need to figure out how to go home. I have to figure out how to do things. And when, for example, my internship ended in 2020, it was at the beginning of COVID when everyone was scared. So there were no flights. And I'm here mm-hmm. every day watching my permit get closer and closer and closer to expiration, and I can't figure out how I'm gonna get home. And no one can help you <laughs> except yourself because you're not in your home mm-hmm. country. But other countries like, listen, you need to leave. But it was a really stressful time, and I didn't even get to enjoy like the last month of you know my stay or the last month of the work I was doing that I was really passionate about and you know, because of this pressure of immigration. Mm-hmm. It's just really hectic. It's it's a lot. And mm-hmm. I think as international students, especially when you go further away from home or overseas, um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Like you're excited for the opportunity, but there's another added level of stress, which comes in the form of, am I going to stay? Can I stay? Mm-hmm. Even if I just want to take holiday for two weeks, what do I need to do? And if I wanted to, I don't have a thousand or a million dollars for that like small extension period, mm-hmm. so it's actually quite a hectic thing to to be dealing with. But are there many aspects of student life that you had to make peace with being excluded from because of the country you studied in? Despite universities like they promise, oh, we're so diverse, we're so inclusive. But like being an international student, mm-hmm. you know that there are some limitations and things you will definitely be excluded from because of your immigrant status. So. Are there any aspects you experienced in that regard?
1: That's a good question. I don't know about exclusion. I think instead of feeling excluded, when I look back, I've been feeling more included and more burdened in the sense of getting through, getting done certain requirements. So one example is the requirement of integration in the canton of Bern in Switzerland. EU citizen colleagues didn't have to go through that. I had to go through that every year. This is basically a process where a public servant um, has a one-on-one session with you before you renew your permit. Mm. And then they basically ask you what you've done to learn German, what you've done to get integrated into the social life of Switzerland. So this is an interview and I had to go through that interview because I'm a non-EU citizen, whereas EU citizens do not have to go through that. Um, and when I look back in my to my experience in the UK as a student, um, there I had to register with the police. This police registration requirement is necessary only for, again, non-EU citizens back then. I'm not sure how it is now with Brexit. I'm talking about 2010 till 2013 and there i had to queue up i remember how horrible it was and then they only work for half a day you can't do it online you have to go there you have to give your finger um fingerprints and and then you know it it was such a what a process i think i had to queue for three days um and then on the third day i was just super lucky because i really started queuing very early on Mm -hmm. um so that's what comes to my mind like exclusion by <laughs> in- including more requirements from that person because that person is just not good enough even though that person is doing basically the same job or the same do- studying in the same way um, They you just still have to put on all these extra layers and requirements which makes one feel uncomfortable not welcomed and just doesn't make one feel equal um but um this is only i just want to note that i have met throughout all these experiences amazing people who were very open-minded who were um, who became my really great friends so i have really really good friends that i trust you know a lot who are from the eu or who are from other developed countries so this is not by any means a reflection of my personal relations with people it's just Mm -hmm the struggles that, yeah, the process and the struggles mm. that, as an, as a developing country student, <laughs> you go through, right?
0: No, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think, for me, one thing I just made peace with not being included in, and I really like what you said about to feel excluded, you needed to feel included in the beginning. Um, for example, uh, my friends, in, when I was at university in South Africa, we started like a model UN society because we were really passionate about it and we know that there's like a huge network and great opportunities for, you know, people who participate in that. And so we did that and um, we then got invited to register for a big conference in New York at the UN headquarters. And my South African friend and I were the ones going because the conference happens every year. So as you get better, you know, we were able to like set up the society, get a little bit of sponsorship and to be able to go. And then, um, because I still I was in my third year the first time I went, I still had two more years of my degree. So I'm thinking, oh great, for the next three years, you know, we get to go to New York in April every now and again, and the university supports it, and everything is cool. Um, and my South African friend applied for a U.S. tourist visa because you just needed a tourist visa to go and participate. It wasn't a paid opportunity, um, and her visa was for ten years, and mine was for one. And I did not have the amount of money every year to pay for a visa to go to the States for the same conference. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there was a little bit of sponsorship from the university, but just that extra visa cost, I think it's now Mm -hmm. the same inconvenience of when you travel having to pay for a COVID test. I don't know what it's Mm -hmm. like on that side of the world, but here it's like you need to put aside like $120 just for COVID tests, which is a lot of money Um, and a US visa costs a lot of money. So following that conference i couldn't go every year because i couldn't afford it but if you're not going everywhere every year you don't get to progress in like that system so that's something i felt like oh okay so whoever is south african and joins the society and takes advantage of the opportunity will get the opportunity every year to go and progress in this really fun organization i don't get to because the cost like i as an i'm zimbabwean she's south african we're from the same region in africa both from developing countries, Mm -hmm. but our experiences are so different because she applies for the exact same visa and it's for a longer period of time, whereas mine is only for one year and I constantly have to renew it. And that just makes it such a burdensome thing. So even if it's a society that I had a hand in starting, I could not really participate in it as much as other people. And unfortunately, people in my immigrant standing also wouldn't be able to participate it unless they had lots of money to do that little process. Mm -hmm. and it's little things like that where you're like okay so you're missing out a bit on the full experience of this you know university thing where you can just do something Mm -hmm. but because of like your immigrant status there's limitations to that which really does Uh
1: (laughs) this reminds me of a really funny story once we were chatting with a friend and then this friend was a scientist super smart person super kind person but completely oblivious with respect to visas, right? So then um, this person starts telling me, uh, you know, um, they were in high school, they were just working during summer, making some money, and then they would just grab a bag and go to, I don't know, some exotic place, wherever in the world that felt like exotic to them. And then they had all these experiences thanks to that. And then they had gone to like maybe over 40 countries. And then, you know, this person looked at me and then said, oh, but you know, you could have done that too. Why didn't you ever do that? Why did you just have to go to to, um, formal education? You know, why didn't you just take little trips like this?" And then I looked at the person and I said, well, I can't just make a little pocket money by working in a restaurant and then actually apply for a touristic visa and then actually get that visa and then actually yeah. go, go to a country mm-hmm. right so your passport gives you access um yeah. visa free to over a hundred countries um there's actually a list of how many uh, how much access you get uh, per passport and actually uae is at the top so really? just like you said we should yeah. really be careful about distinguishing the developing country that we're talking mm. about right uae mm. is, is number one which is crazy Um, But yeah, so um, I really think that we need to talk about this. I really think that we need to make people understand that there is this hurdle out there. And because of that hurdle, certain people are extremely mobile and certain people are just stuck. Mm. And the reason why we're stuck is not necessarily because we don't also want to be mobile and, um, you know, join these experiences and learn and teach and, you know, explore the world. But it's just... We can't because we have to show um, that you have a job that you can get back to Mm. um, in order to apply for a touristic visa. Um, For the EU, for instance, as a Turkish citizen, I need to, for the Schengen visa, I need to show the past six months of my banking account in Turkey Mm. and how it has uh, been active, right? So they look for an active bank account summary for the past six months. Mm. So it's not even the money I have in my bank account
0: now. It's like
1: the past six
0: months. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. they want to make sure that your friends just didn't give that money to you in a day and then you yeah. have all this money that you're
0: showing, right? Exactly. And so, do you think, I mean, you mentioned that when you're talking to this person saying, oh, why didn't you just travel? Why do you need to do higher education? Why do you need to, you know, pursue higher education in order to see the world? Do you think pursuing um, a qualification like law or similar to law is a good way to leave your home country? Because I know. Sometimes I really question my life decisions when I chose to study law because it's one of, it's a a very gatekeepy profession. It's it's not easily transferable between countries, and Mm -hmm. it really makes me. The way it was advertised was like, yeah, no, you come and Zimbabwe is a former English colony, so it's just like, yeah, you can practice in other places in like the Commonwealth and stuff. And on paper, you're like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but in reality, it's no, it doesn't translate that well. But do you think that's a good way to like? see the world or travel or is it just you need to really think about what you want to study if that's your intention
1: I mean if you have the finances then as a student you might get a visa that will give you access to certain countries right for instance my my PhD doctoral visa um, where I was actually where I actually had a salary so it wasn't a Full student visa mm-hmm. um, that gave me that has been giving me access to the whole Schengen area for the mm-hmm. for over four years now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that has made my life so much easier because I now can grab a bag and go to anywhere in in the Schengen area, which is great. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it could give you access. But for instance, when I went to Canada, that st- student visa didn't necessarily give me more access. But in terms of only seeing Canada itself, obviously it was a good move, or in terms of only seeing the UK itself um these experiences were a good move but i would really like to um invoke certain questions um i think we take it for granted that if we do a degree out there in a in the developed world then our lives will just be perfect our cv will be amazing we will definitely have a competitive edge in the job market we will maybe stay why not because Mm -hmm. that's what they're saying to us when they market their degrees and i just want to say no hold on certain money is being made from this business this is business yeah so make sure that you are investing your money in in a channel that suits your interests mm. so for instance if your interest is to make a living in europe why would you invest of thirty thousand euros on a nasty degree maybe you can actually try the um the you know golden passports Mm. maybe that's a better opportunity for you maybe save some more money and then go to portugal and get a flat and go through that scheme or go to malta Mm. so i would like to really invite people to really question what they want and if what they want is higher education then they should follow that passion right Mm. but if what you want is not that, and if it's actually a life in europe or elsewhere in the u.s or in canada if you're just trying to Have a foot in then maybe investing in a degree is not so sensible maybe you should invest in something else
0: that's really insightful i always say because here in zimbabwe like you people struggle and everyone's always trying to like leave the country um and one thing you hear is oh just go and do a masters or or just go and you know study and that's a way to get in and from my experience, I I didn't do that. I was presented with an opportunity, um, and I went to go study a master's in the hope of being able to be like, okay, this will open opportunities, more opportunities for me. But I I really want to study this, and studying towards like a higher degree is hard. It's it's really mm-hmm. hard. So there's I I don't look at it like there's no such thing as just a master's. Like if you are studying it has to be something you somewhat care about or you need to be mentally prepared for the toll that that might take on you um, because these qualifications are demanding. And if you also want to be competitive, you need excellent grades. You need an excellent transcript um, because like what you said Mm -hmm. in the beginning, you have to work so much harder to even get your foot in the door for an interview for that same opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it does make it quite, um, I guess, difficult or quite challenging in that sense to just say oh i'm just gonna go study because if you don't care about what you're studying it's going to be really hard but it'll also be super disappointing where you've invested like what you're saying thirty thousand dollars into a higher education and you don't get a job and you eventually have to go home and you're Mm -hmm. like oh well I even studied something that's not particularly useful or something that I don't care about. And that money is gone. That opportunity is over. And you really haven't gotten much except feeling like the loss or like you have wasted time. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And did you enjoy your master's experience, by oh, the way? I, How was it for you?
0: I had so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, I... It was very perspective shifting, but when I was doing my master's in a program like at the World Trade Institute, you have people from all over who, again, have similar experiences to you, but they're so different. Um, And it's nice to be able to interact in like multicultural zones and learn things from people. Um, But one thing I also really learned is other people's perception of developing countries or the developing world is I had one friend she I met her at the church I joined and she was Swiss. And she was like, "Oh my gosh, you are from Zimbabwe. That's in Africa." I am so that's so exciting. I have another friend of mine who's also African and I'd love for you to meet her. And I was like, "Okay, you know, it's a little bit problematic, but I'm like, "Okay, I'm so excited to meet your friend." Um so oh she invites us both for lunch and her friend is from Tunisia. And I don't know if you know, but Southern Africans and North Africans <laughs> we're all africans but we just we're we're so different culturally like our perspectives our views are so different and i really felt like i told my social friend, i'm like do you know you and i probably have more in common than me and this girl from tunisia because we have such different lived experiences our cultures are different the sides of the continent are so different and so me and this girl kind of like looking at each other like hi hi (laughs) you know (laughs) I don't really, and you have this um very well-meaning um, European in the middle, like, okay, guys, so, like, share like, you know, you've got common ground, and I'm like, we literally have nothing in common, aside from being from Africa, so I found that really interesting, but otherwise, it was such mm-hmm. an enjoyable experience, and I'm so grateful and privileged to have experienced it, but... That's where I give advice to people, like if you are going to pursue something for the sake of leaving, always just be prepared that that might not be the best way to go about it, like what you're saying. It might not be if your intention is to migrate somewhere and stay there. Education is not always the easiest gateway to get into it. And it is a big, especially if you don't have a scholarship, it's a big um, financial, you know, commitment. So unless you're going to actively go and study something like a critical skill or an essential skill that, you know, you're almost guaranteed a place or an opportunity to stay, uh, it can be a little difficult with things like what you're saying, language, um, immigration, asking you, you know, how have you included yourself in the community because you can't really sit and be in your own bubble. You have to, especially in Europe, you have to assimilate. You have to show that you're making an effort into Being a part of that culture and not trying just to preserve yours in their space so I found that really that was an interesting experience and I learned a lot about myself about other people but Mm. also just like the world sees things so differently which was interesting but yeah and so my final question is what is the best would you say is the best part and then the worst part about international student life being from a developing country?
1: Yeah, the worst part is obviously what we talked about, right? It's all the hurdles of getting the visa yeah. and not having the option of um, having, the same, having the access to the same privileges or the same rights. So that's obviously the worst part. The best part is you always have something different to offer from the mainstream opinion or beliefs. It could be anything from a different uh, food that you bring to the table, to a different drink, to a different type of music. Um, So I guess that would be the best part that you always have something interesting to offer to the people around you.
0: Yeah, no, I can definitely resonate with that. And I think also being so far away from home sometimes and so far away from like your cultural norms you appreciate those a little bit when you're explaining it to people or sharing with it. And I realized, you know, being away from home, how special certain things are actually to me and how important they are when I was sharing it with other people. Otherwise, I wouldn't have... When I'm at home, I mean, you just take it for granted. Take certain food, certain processes. I'm just like, yeah, that's fine. It's normal. But when you're sharing with people, you realize, like, actually, this is quite important to me. This is actually really... It's really special. So... I can definitely relate to that as well, that you are bringing something interesting to the table and that um, also you appreciate, You can. it's easy to appreciate other diversity, but you also appreciate your diversity. And I know one part is there was a time while I was in Switzerland, I was feeling particularly homesick. And you know how in Bern specifically, there there's so much order with the traffic, like everything public transport is, <laughs> German precision, everything is on time, all the traffic is in order, all the buses, cars, cyclists, everything moves in like one smooth line. And I was feeling really homesick. And I'm just like, I kind of wish like one of the traffic lights could stop working so some chaos can start, like some noise, (laughs) someone to like beep at someone. I don't know. Like I miss, you miss little things like that where you're just like, I miss, you know, I can appreciate that as much as traffic at home annoys me when I'm around such orderly traffic, I'm like, okay, just a little bit of chaos, you know, sprinkle a bit of something mm-hmm. different would be nice. So yeah, I can definitely resonate mm. with what you're saying for sure. Do you think that
1: if you had access to more mobility, then would you rather live at home than travel and seek all these opportunities um, throughout, you know, different times, different yeah. periods, but not necessarily look for ways to settle? Mm. Because sometimes I feel that way. I feel like the fact that I, I am not mobile, is mm. kind of forcing me also to seek for that privilege of mobility mm. that in fact I would you know I also miss home as well yeah. like you like it's
0: what do you think that's a tough question as a really tough question because I can't ignore how difficult it is to be at home um, not mm. only being from a developing country but a country that's considered least developing There is. Mm-hmm a lot of issues and a lot of things that we explore in this podcast that make living in Zimbabwe particularly difficult. And mm-hmm. for the kind of life or the kind of quality of life I would like to pursue, or the quality of life that even my parents were able to give me, I sometimes feel like the only way I can do that is if I move somewhere else. Um, that's just because it doesn't mm-hmm. always feel very practical here. Um, but other times it it's like, oh, I wish I could, mm-hmm. you know, go somewhere experience things and then be able to settle at home but for example here at home i don't earn enough to be able to go and experience a lot of things i can maybe go somewhere once or twice a year um so i'm not getting to experience much but then sometimes i feel the opposite sometimes i feel like Mm -hmm. i would want to be settled in another country so that i can come home more often you know it's a weird Mm -hmm. place like so Mm -hmm. i can come home and actually Uh, you know if I wanted to buy a house here I could go work somewhere else for a couple of years and because Mm -hmm. like it wouldn't be like trying to buy a home for example in Switzerland you'd need a multi-million like dollar job or whatever to buy the kind of house that I'd be able to build at home but it's a weird thing where I'm like I'd have to leave earn whatever I needed to earn in order to be able to settle and live at home so it's this really weird space where sometimes I'm like, guys, okay, maybe things at home aren't so bad. And then something crazy happens and I'm like, yeah, I really need to go. Um, but then when you're outside, you know, you're know, you kind of homesick and you're like, I wish I could just be at home and be able to do this mm-hmm. where I am at. Um, so it's, it's a weird place, mm-hmm. That's a very challenging question. I wish I had a more like concrete answer to that, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know, it depends on my mood, honestly.
1: Mm -hmm. that's a very honest answer
0: yeah and yourself how do you Mm -hmm. feel like is it more the mobility or do you feel like you could go back to turkey and settle there and build whatever kind of life you want to build there Mm
1: -hmm. there's obviously a reason why we leave um i think sometimes it could really be just for the experience itself but then there's sometimes more to it Mm -hmm. and i think the more privileged I feel in terms of living in a developed country like Switzerland Mm. the more like the harder it gets to get back to Turkey
0: Mm. because
1: I lose I I really do lose certain things if I move back there I mean mobility is obviously the top of my list because I really love being mobile I really love making an application for an Australian visa and just because i can show that i'm working in switzerland i get the visa in a day whereas if i were living in turkey working in turkey it would have taken me months Mm. so i love that privilege right and i think that's actually for me that's number one and as an international migration lawyer i guess i i am thinking about that a lot because i also theorize on it and and also live it Mm. Um, But other than that, I'm also like you and I want to be brave and honest like you. And I'm not going to say that there are not any other reasons why I'm not living in Turkey. Of course, there are many other reasons. There's politics, there's economy, there's social issues. As a woman, it's hard if you are, you know, even walking the streets alone in in Turkey. If you're in the wrong street, anything can happen. Whereas that's just not how I feel in Switzerland. Mm
0: -hmm. That is
1: not to say in Switzerland there's no sexual abuse, but it is just to say that it's not as dangerous. So um, in that sense, I agree with you, we should not really neglect the problems we have at home, Mm. but that in and of itself shouldn't necessarily mean that we deserve less mobility, we don't. We did not choose the political systems we were born into Mm. and hardly can a generation really cause a reformation in the political system to such an extent that we would get durable solutions all of a sudden and in one generation so there's hardly anything we can do in order to change the political system itself it's rather generations of people and pockets of different ideas coming together and that's how you change a system it takes time it takes many many millions of people right so in that sense i would advocate for equal mobility opportunities for everybody in the world because nobody picks where they're from or what their passport says
0: exactly. right
1: um but yeah i mean i i i definitely feel um i definitely feel you and when you express worries about your home country i definitely have the same worries about mine
0: mm-hmm. Island, thank you so much. I loved this conversation. this was so interesting and thank you for being so honest and sharing and being so candid about your experiences as well. I really appreciate it. I feel like it gives so much depth to the discussion when you're able to share like your personal experiences not just like surface level like oh yeah this is hard like just obvious but like on a you know more like grounded level like okay, it's hard and this is why and I really appreciate that so much.
1: Thank you, Kim. I'm really, really happy that you're doing this. You're so brave and I love your podcast and please keep it up. And it was my
0: pleasure and honor to be a part of it. I really appreciate that. Definitely will. And don't be surprised when I you back and that is the episode a huge shout out and thank you once again to my guest island for taking the time to be on this platform and sharing with us i appreciate it so much i have included a link to one of her recent videos on her youtube channel pop up law and if you are an international law nerd like me or just interested in knowing some fascinating and less known facts about international law do subscribe to the page run up the numbers whatever you do to support a youtube just go stop by check out her videos they are really great and entertaining um and thank you once again for listening uh thank you for all the downloads the comments the engagement on social media i really appreciate it and a big big shout out to everyone who supported on the paypal so far i really do appreciate that and i've also included a link to that It's <laughs> a lot of links in this description but they're all for very very great content great causes and to support the podcast so um please whatever you can do thank you so much please once again do not forget to follow the podcast on social media at in this economy podcast on instagram and me your host at kimiajek on twitter and as always let's keep the conversations going i'd love to hear from you and i will catch you next week